I've been uh, listening to a lot of church history, especially with the early church and trying to trek with the development of certain ideas in the early church. One of the things that is just stunning to me is the rejection of the Jewish apocalyptic view and because of its being too Jewish and not Greek enough. And I just wanted to ask for those who kind of looked into it a little more or have an understanding of why that development has kind of been rejected and even to this day is seen, you know, even, I guess more of my question, why even for the modern research, I know like guys like N.T. Wright are sort of rediscovering that, but it seems like with a still kind of modeled, muddied view of the when it comes to the kingdom and, uh, you know, like the resurrection has kind of been clearly established as a totally future oriented aspect of the hope. But, uh, yes, wondering why these, uh, these things that seem pretty clear in the early church, uh, you know, the premillennial hope. Um, so anyway, yeah, just any thoughts about why that's been, you know, why that's so hard for the, modern mind to uh, just rediscover the, the, the apocalyptic end of the, the early church and of the early Jewish belief. Yeah, so I hope that's clear. Hey, Jake. I'm sure the other guys have, have a lot they could say and, and will, and I'm excited to hear about it. Um, the only thing that I really have that I would throw out is um, I know that a, a massive new trend at least from what I've seen and what I've experienced through some of my past friends that have really turned a corner um, significantly. And it just seems like it's, it's pretty widespread uh, in some, in some circles, probably not in some of the circles we're in, but in, in just everyday Christianity, I think it's starting to kind of build momentum, but is that um, the church back then, they didn't know as much. And so we've progressed to have a better understanding and, and, God's enlightening us more, you know, over history. That's kind of the, that's kind of a view that I know is up and coming, has been up and coming actually for a while and uh, really has been super deceptive and brought a lot of falseness, um, I believe, to the gospel in general and uh, has the gospel, (laughs) has the good news gospel. Uh, It's not really the gospel anymore, but, um, but people stand pretty firmly on that. There's just some people I know that are really, Really dogmatic about it that you know they kind of discount you know things of of old because we progress and we're getting better. It's kind of the kind of like you know John talks about the evolutionary feel and that we're progressing and and we would say that we're digressing a little bit. You know we're we're uh, we're uh, our, our bodies are failing quicker and all these things you know. But um, so I know that, that that could be part of it is people don't embrace it. It's not. It's actually it sweeps it. It's legs out from underneath it. For those people, like I know I've talked to those people and they're kind of like, well, hey, you know, those guys just didn't know it all back then. And we're getting better at understanding it. And they can even reinterpret. They even reinterpret some things from the Old Testament because of that, too. And there's just all kinds of messiness that comes with it. But um, and so therefore, people just come come to the scriptures with a really skewed view, come to the early church, uh, you know, uh, stuff with with a skewed view that. Kind of like they, you know, we know better now than they did back then. So, therefore, they can justify whatever they want around 
the early church and, and, and undo anything that they want because of that. Kind of gives them that liberty in their, their minds. Oh, and I'll, I'll just add to that too really quick that I think, uh, Obviously, I'm kind of sharing the extreme, some extreme side of that. Um, at least I know some guys that are very extreme on that side. But I think that I've seen it in little little pockets in smaller ways. Like it kind of is creeping in. You know how everything kind of creeps in um, and eventually, you know, kind of like over history, you know, eventually everybody's kind of kingdom now and, you know, whatever. And we're all about prospering. And um, it kind of slowly creeps into other veins and people don't even know that they're receiving that, uh, you know, in a sense. I mean, they do, but they're. It's kind of like slowly creeping in. They slowly embrace it, and then it begins to um, begins to work into their their worldview and how they live life and all those things. And so, um, so anyway, I'll just say that that obviously there's different, like anything, there's different levels of it. Just to piggyback on what Rich is saying, just kind of along the same lines, I found that typically when I found it talking to people, it kind of a lot of it rests on the idea that Jesus and the apostles reinterpreted a lot of stuff like which he was saying from the old testament or intertestamental times stuff like the kingdom of god and and the holy you know holy spirit and different things like that that they're reinterpreted new new understanding new meaning and um the reason i think it seems so prevalent is because of how prevalent the some of the proponents of that that way of thinking are in the church today you know the guys that that um that are already not yet type of uh of um, thinkers they they are the ones that propose that the reason it's already not yet is because Jesus came and you know talking about the kingdom Jesus came and he reinterpreted what the kingdom meant and it was now and then not yet and all this kind of stuff and so i think over time and now in our day largely forgotten the historic premillennial uh, eschatological uh, theology and then you know the expectation of the future kingdom and all that kind of stuff forgotten because of uh, just by the uh, the scope of where the theology of the reinterpretation of scripture has uh, has reached within the church so some of my thoughts on it thanks for clarifying that bro and I think that that is huge because it really puts a negative, which a lot of us know this, but it puts a uh, kind of like, oh, eschatology. Oh, yeah, the, you're one of those guys. You know, that's kind of the feel that can come. And it's got a really, really arrogant feel about it, and uh, which makes it difficult, you know, for us. <laughs> for me, personally, it makes it difficult for me not to be offended at the responses I get pertaining to it, which I've, I've talked to, I don't know, multiple people about it. Um and then also, obviously, for that individual, you know, the arrogance and there's not an openness to hear something different. And they feel like they've got the new thing. That's, and that's what it is. It really is a new thing. They feel like they're enlightened to the new thing. It's kind of like the Gnostic feel that we always get. It comes in many different forms and fashions. But um, it's a difficult one to wrestle with, and it's, it's, it is growing. It's spreading. Yes, I would say a hearty hear, hear. I agree to, uh, to Richie and Caleb. On that, um, there's just there's just really is an assumption in the church um, that Jesus redefined things when he when he came, um, and there's just yeah that that underlying assumption that um, the phrases that that were always phrases of judgment and a negative connotation throughout the prophets, and then when when Jesus spoke them, we read them as um, 
as uh, as positive. The kingdom uh, has come near you uh, in your midst. You know, all of these, um, you know, there's not very many passages. There's not very many kingdom now passages. Um, but really the, the, the overall, um, it's like they mean, or the reinterpretation is the exact opposite of what, what would have been plainly understood, uh, by the listener, you know, by the, those that would be very familiar with the prophets declaring the kingdom is at hand, um, the day of the Lord is near, uh, that type of stuff. In the New Testament, there's the assumption or in the church today, I should say, there's an assumption that when those are read in the New Testament, we read them as uh, positive things. And as well in the, in the parables, you know, the overall flavor of the parables are uh, are of judgment, and uh, but we read them as uh, very positive. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, even the statement saying that, that uh, Jesus didn't redefine the kingdom when he came is a very foreign statement to so many and uh, a very offensive statement. Uh, that's about it for now. Going to go back to folding laundry and trying to corral these homeschooling kids. Peace. Dialoguing around the word with you, bro. Just a couple thoughts in response to just some of the things you guys have shared. Um, just pretty straightforwardly, um, definitely we reinterpret. We reinterpret because our hearts are idolatrous and wicked. And uh, it allows us to uh, remake God in our own image. And so that's, uh, and we hate the Jews. And we hate the Jews because we're full of envy and pride. And so uh, reinterpretation allows us to uh, kind of create rationalizations around those realities. And uh, so the reason I I say that um, is, I mean, basically – I'm thinking of all the, you know, just trying to, you know, with identifying, you know, we identify the manifestations and the symptoms, but the root issue is is heart issues, and uh, you see that throughout the scriptures that um, the relationship of knowledge and understanding to the, the condition of the heart is is uh, a lot more explicitly stated and uh, many times repeated than often what we, we discuss in terms of knowledge. And so, like Josh Hawkins was saying, the, uh, the Lord was making known the truths of the kingdom behind closed doors to his disciples, and it was all about the issue of the hardness of the heart. Now, of course, you know, we all want to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt on what kind of heart we have. But, um, and so, the reality, but regardless of... You know, it's hard. That's what the tension is. It's hard to identify. You know, you can't identify all the realities going on in people's hearts. But regardless of that, we know that the Lord is pretty clear that um, that the heart realities are what define uh, the direction in the area of knowledge. And so, uh, you know, acknowledging those realities, but at the same time repenting uh, when we see them in ourselves is key. But um, just uh, one one other thing here that's helped me, um, you know, sometimes in the historical presentation of the development of of how ideas have developed historically, you know, a lot of us in our worldview teachings we talk about, you know, basically the the influence of the gospel uh, following um, its advance into Egypt, Alexandria, you know, 
origin, those kinds of things. And what often what often happens, at least in my own mind, is I kind of end up inadvertently getting this picture in my mind of things were going awesome for a couple hundred years, and then crap, it's all done. And and we've just now, you know, here we are, 21st century, uh, working through some of these ideas and trying to recover it. And there's just, you know, kind of obviously it's more complex than that, but I find that my heart starts um, – responding to the Lord out of that type of thing. Like basically how Lord, how could you let it get to be such a big of a mess? And um, definitely it's a mess, but I think uh, the Lord has basically reminded me many of times that, that, um, that, that he basically told us it was going to be like this from the very beginning. And what's happening is exactly what he said would happen. And you think of the parable of the wheat and the tares and Basically, you've got the Lord sows the good seed, and then the devil raises up messengers to start sowing corrupt seed. And the seed, um, it what's interesting about the seed there is that the, dar- the darnel, after it's planted, it, cont- it, it takes the form of wheat, but it's not until the harvest time that the seeds actually, you actually see the seeds, and you know that it's imposter wheat and it's poisonous, and the seeds end up being black. They look, they look the same you know, kind of uh, as they grow. But when it's time, the harvest approaches and it's time to reap, you realize what kind of fruit the two different kinds of seed produce. And basically the Lord just said, you know, this is basically how it's been. It didn't just start like 300, 400 years after the gospel went out and, you know, Christendom's developed and all that kind of thing. But actually, no, there's been, there's been wheat and tares from the beginning. And 1 Corinthians 4 Kingdom now, the devil trying to send false false messengers and false apostles who slap people in the face, who are full of greed and corruption and living for the flattery of men. And the fruit of it is kingdom now, and Paul has to deal with it and uh, call them back to the, the stripes of Christ in 1 Corinthians 4, 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 2, Hymenaeus, Philetus, you know, the, the, the seed there of, of heavenly destiny already uh, in the first century. We've got the... Uh, the, the tares being sown and and these uh, these ideas trying to steer people away from the the doctrine uh, that Jesus handed on to the saints and so uh, yeah it's kind of one of those things where you're like oh wait a minute okay so the seeds were planted as early as the first century and Jesus said pretty clearly they continue to to grow together until the end of the age and it's kind of like oh Okay, this is this is kind of the way it's been from the beginning. Now it creates its own set, set of tensions, driving us to the truth, driving us to seek the Lord for for wisdom, to be freed from the deceitfulness in our own hearts. But uh, yeah, I think uh, ultimately you, you start peeling away at the layers, you start going, you start getting the kingdom back on the earth, you get the kingdom back in the hands of the Jews. And now you have to deal with election. You deal with election, you deal with the pride of the human heart. And if you're not willing to deal with the pride of the human heart, then basically, um, you know, basically we end up, uh, uh, what the Lord has no problem hardening our eyes, basically, um, if we're going to treat the gospel with contempt. And uh, in fact, sometimes I've wondered, I don't know for sure, but sometimes I've wondered, you know, you start reading origin statements where he takes such a hard line on the, against the Jews and, the condescension and the arrogance with which he describes uh, 
their view of the hope and things like this. And, and you know, I don't, I don't have any formal doctrine or theology or teaching on it, but I start to wonder whether, whether the Lord looks down and remembers the Abrahamic covenant and says, okay, you want to curse my people? You're cur- to curse the, basically to curse, to curse his people is to curse the gospel and trust him to the people, the stewards of the oracles. And so I just wonder whether, uh, so much of the confusion and the fog is the Lord simply being faithful to his word. Like, okay, you're going to curse my gospel. You're going to curse my people. You're going to curse my gospel. All right. I'll just blind your eyes. And uh, just a thought I've wondered about. Love you guys. Talk enough. Bye. Wow, that's some valuable insight. They're both on a popular modern level and even historical. Just as I've been uh, checking through the uh, – Church fathers, and funny enough, today I was in reading through and uh, listening about Origen and his method of allegorical interpretation with the spirit, the soul, and the body being a way to interpret the scriptures, and uh, then obviously the, the the allegorical or, or the spiritual interpretation becoming accepted kind of wholesale for the. Um, for the next centuries to come, and even, yeah, we're still doing that today. And, yeah, just thinking about the relation to Israel and, and how that peace really, I mean, and just the clear warning just to not be arrogant and um, the fruit of arrogance. And it's even more scary is the result of arrogance. Um, yes, I appreciate that cruciform wisdom and uh, I love that insight everybody shared. Tim, that's really good, man. I really appreciate uh, again, just as Jake said, the, the insight on the cruciform wisdom that's just hugely important. Um, you know, really just taking it back to being an issue of the heart and, and really um, I think it's so important that we see even in seed form that um, the wheat and the tares will grow together and, and it wasn't just after Origin and, and uh, Augustine and these guys where, you know, really this kind of spiritual hermeneutic was introduced and, and how everything went downhill. And there were real issues in the early church. Um, and, and, you know, we, as they were, uh, are to be ones who contend earnestly for the faith, which is once delivered to all the saints. So um, really appreciate your exhortation, brother. It's it's interesting, you know, even even now being here in, in Texas, uh, kind of in the Bible Belt, uh, where, you know, the, the Baptist denomination is huge. Um, you know, really, there's just churches in every corner. You know, it really is interesting. The the, the gospel uh, is is a word that's used so often around here. Uh, and the thing I do appreciate, um, you know, kind of coming from a, a very uh, charismatic stream now to just something down here, um, the thing I do appreciate is, is the focus and discussion on Christ crucified. Um, but what is sorely lacking, of course, is is the Israel piece and, and the Israelocentric, kind of Judeocentric nature of the covenants, the scriptures. Um, I mean, it, it really is a uh, is a huge, huge thing. And and you know, I mean, you get people that that kind of say, "Hey, uh, well, yeah, Israel, they they were the people of God, and and now we're the people of God." And so you get the pseudo supersessionism. Not even really considering that they're supersessionists, but but it's it's just so uh, so prevalent. Uh, something I've, I've really noticed down here. 
Hey, brother Jake. I hear your voice, man. Um, <clears throat> I, I second uh, what a lot of these guys have said. Uh, it's true. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I think, I think Tim, I mean, Tim said that's the, that's the major issue. I think it was, uh, uh astonish- it, to me, it's astonishing, but it was essentially, it was, it was really seen with incredible prophetic insight by Paul, like in Romans 11. And it goes through, they were cut off because they were arrogant. So you don't be arrogant or you'll be cut off. And it goes down around verse 24, 26, and he says, he says, brothers, I, uh, I say this to you Gentiles, or the beginning of the passage, he highlights that it's Gentiles. He says, I, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery so that you don't become wise in your own imagination. And, uh, and the mystery is the covenantal hardening. Right, that it happened that that they were hardened according to the covenant, and so all is all is as planned, so to speak. And and uh, and Paul said, if you misunderstand the mystery of what has happened to Israel in the first century, then you will become arrogant. And I mean, the scary part is, he said, then you too will be. He had just said, if you become arrogant to Gentiles, then you'll be liable to be cut off as well. So I, I I agree it's it's a it's a humility and arrogance issue, and uh, as core and it's not like everybody has like overtly bad intentions over it, but uh, yeah no and it's and like Tim highlighted as well it's one that we all struggle with too, and uh, so it's uh, yeah the wrestle over election and and to acknowledge the mercy of God coming to the Gentiles in context to a Jewish covenants. Yeah, it just takes wrestling, and that's God's intention, like Romans 3, so that uh, everybody will be humbled, and uh, Jew and Gentile will both be seen as not righteous, and God will be seen as righteous. So, awesome, guys. Good discussion. Uh, yeah, great discussion, guys. Man, so interesting that, you know, the very thing that is like the hot-button issue in the gospel being the the promise of the future kingdom um, how that uh, directs you know like we know directs us to the cross not just to preach the cross but to apply the cross and then even in the midst of holding to the message of the cross knowing that we could suffer at the hands of our own uh, brothers who are are ignorant um, of the mystery of Israel as time goes on and coming to terms with that now, um, in, in two ways. In, in one, not being arrogant toward our brothers who don't, um, un, don't have their faith completely set on a future kingdom, having set their hope completely on the grace to be revealed as we, as scriptures speak of in First Peter very clearly, um, to inheritance to be revealed, you know, kept in heaven. Um, and so, as we come against um, opposition, and even those we, we would consider our brothers in the church, wherever they're at right now, um, it's a test for where we're, we're really at. Uh, and we've said this in numerous different varieties of ways amongst our group of guys from BTN. Um, but the test, the witness test for our heart of if this is the case and the and the horrible, horrible um, sentence of 
being cut off, uh, even cut at the root of the tree, you know, like John the Baptist uh, preached the same, same word in the Greek, uh, to cut off or to be cut at the root of the tree. Uh, if, that, if it's that severe, like it says in Romans 11, which we would say it is, obviously from the scriptures, if there's a severity of that sentence upon people that have espoused the belief of the cross at one point, um, and somehow, whether it's immediately or through time, embraced uh, a rejection of the covenant with Israel, a redefining of the kingdom, and would be, in God's judgment, ones that would be cut off, if that's the case, it just it stirs my heart uh, to be walking in a manner of uh, having a, a trembling heart, um, speaking uh, absolutely all about myself right now. Just I know how feisty I can feel at times toward a, a bad theology, um, but you know our, our passage that we keep coming back to, Second Timothy two, uh, gentle with those in opposition, perhaps they might escape the snare of the devil. Is, gotten them captive to be to do his will. Um, what, what a call. Uh, what am I saying, uh, basically, as I just said in a, in a nutshell. Um, wow. Uh, the, the application of, of, uh, of fear and trembling for our own heart to not become proud that we know the mystery now. Isn't that interesting that, you know, uh, Jews don't be proud. Um, our Jews were proud, so they were cut off. Gentiles don't be proud and ignorant of this mystery of how the covenant with Israel continues. They see we cut off, and then it will come right back to us. And you who understand this mystery, go to the end of chapter 11 of Romans and realize that all have been shut up under disobedience, that all might be shown mercy, all the depths of the riches of his wisdom and past finding out, etc., it's it's the same call like you guys that's what I'm hearing you guys saying and I'm I'm feeling uh or trembling is that it's the same call to us, the very call that we're to call the, the, the church to not be ignorant of. We're not not to be arrogant about having the right knowledge and it's in line with what Tim said the other day about the knowledge of the truth as opposed to um having the knowledge of good and evil and knowledge that we're not ready to be a good steward of how we carry our heart, being ready to actually be crucified, preaching about suffering before glory, and actually preparing our heart and our life um, direction, our families included, to actually walk in the steps of Jesus is a whole other thing. And when you come against opposition from people in the church itself, what a test it's going to be. You know, when when uh, when God sees the timing right for us to be tested by that. Uh, just some thoughts I'm coming into with this discussion. Jeremy, bro, I think you're absolutely right, and and I uh, I think all of us would agree that you know the testing um, that I think we're going to feel first uh, really is testing from the church. Uh, and oh, how much more should our response be? You know, like you said at the end of Romans 11, um, the response of worship and gratitude uh, for being, you know, 
uh, now a party to the covenant, uh, even when we were strangers and, and we were, you know, we had no hope in the world and we were cut off um, from the promises and, and the oracles that were spoken. Uh, and, and now how much more should we be filled with gratitude and humility and, and how much more should we not only preach uh, suffering before glory, but as you're saying, you know, should should we embody suffering before glory? And I, I think of Paul um, in Colossians 1, you know, I fill up in my flesh what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the assembly, <laughs> the ecclesia, the, the gathering of Jew and Gentile into one new man. Uh, and Paul's response is that very thing. It is, we must not only preach suffering before glory, we must not only preach, I mean, Paul himself going, hey, it's been made known to me, the mystery. And and how is he responding? He responds, you know, through uh, trials and beatings and imprisonments await me in every city where I go. And and so, oh, Lord, would you help us as, as we are ones who see this and, and uh, you've given us grace to, to behold the mystery and and Lord, oh, just give us grace, man. I, I'm trembling along with you, Jeremy. 